Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasts live every day from sunny Southern California. Welcome Welcome in. Good to be back. Uh, escaped. Uh, it felt like a dusting in Denver. You know, it was supposed to be four to eight. It was more along the lines of like two. But that's okay. Uh, that's good news. You boys back in sunny SoCal where it's a little bit windy. And uh, about 15 people continue to celebrate the Rams winning a Super Bowl. Uh, I told you and I, I tweeted out as such when the story was was being broken that no way Sean McVay, no way Aaron Donald retire. And, you know, it, it's it's fascinating to me because um, I, I think some of this is just good agenting. Good agenting. Good agenting is getting your player or coach or general manager or, or on-air talent or whatever, getting them options. And the hardest thing to do is get legitimate options when you're already under contract. See, Sean McVay, he can't really leverage another job coaching against the Rams, right? You're not going to leave the Super Bowl champions who hired you when you were 30 years old and you're already under contract. They, they have no desire. There's no legal recourse for them. Plus, why would he want to? Like, they're not... It's not happening. It's not John Gruden with the Raiders who was essentially traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, that's not, we're not there. So it's brilliant agenting in that they put it out there. And I said this over the last couple of days where there was a real kind of buzz around the Super Bowl that, hey, you know, Sean McVay, maybe, I don't know, Tony Romo makes $17 million. You put him in that range. He doesn't have to go to work. Oh, he's getting married. So he wants to be around his family. It doesn't mean you don't want to be around your family. It doesn't mean you're a bad husband. And it doesn't mean that you don't want to work less. All these things can, in fact, be accurate. But you don't actually have a family yet. You're not actually even married yet, although getting married this summer. And if you look at it, it's just brilliant agenting where... You can push the owner to give you a new contract, which you rightfully have earned. Rightfully have earned. While being under contract and have no leverage from any other team. How do you create leverage when none exists? Sometimes you have to go out of the actual field that you're working in and find somebody else who potentially could be willing to make you an offer. Then you come back and you say, look, you know, I, he doesn't want to leave, but if it's $14 million and he makes eight and he has to work less and only do TV and he's getting married, he can start a family. What do you think? And for Aaron Donald, take a look at his contract. That was a six-year deal that's really the first three years are front-loaded. Now, none of it's guaranteed. 
So, of course, you let out there through a friend, through Rodney Harrison. You know, I could walk away. Really? Aaron Donald's a great football player. And maybe he'll have a future in TV. I mean, it's not like he's going to do the Jim Brown and go into movies. Not yet. Right? We, We don't have enough data to support that in front of the camera, he could make anywhere close to the money that he's going to make long term. He's a great football player who wants one last big payday. So what do you do? I don't know. I mean, you hit, you know, if you finally won a Super Bowl, he's 30 years old. Maybe he walks away. Here's Sean McVay and Aaron Donald yesterday. Sean McVay just tapped me on the shoulder. He wanted to know if you were interested in running it back. Run it back! 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 Give it up for Aaron Donald! What a stud! Everything! We, we, we built the super team. We can bring the super team back. Why not run it back? We could be world champions. Yeah! I mean, look, I'm sure at some point Stan Kroenke pulled him aside and said, we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. It'll get done. Something about liquor, which there was a lot of during the victory parade, ends up taking away any sort of, you know, false bravado over potential, uh, potentially leveraging your current job for a future job. But I think it's pretty obvious to everybody, even before Sean McVay's fiance put out that he's not retiring, that Sean McVay wasn't going anywhere, that Aaron Donald's not going anywhere, that this is just simply a way of creating some sort of in. Uh, d- some sort of thought, just planting a seed that, you know, I got a lot of money. I got the rest of my life. Maybe I could. And that's where the owner steps in and says, don't worry, we'll take care of you. That's my read on it. You know, do I think McVeigh wanted to, to go to television? No. Do I think eventually he will? Sure. Why not? Why not? At, at some point you can do it. And as I've told you the last week and a half here, the money Romo is making, the show that the Mannings are doing, the freedom that you can have, at some point you do. And it's coaches and players. Look, Calvin Johnson actually kind of started this, right? Calvin Johnson had all his faculties and he had a ton of money and he was like, you know what? I'm just done. I'm good. I got a bunch of money. I got one gigantic record. And I'm just going to go and be a a great businessman. Now, Calvin Johnson, if you've listened to many of his quotes, I would say if you did a psychological profile, there's, there's still, um, there's he, I'm sure he misses not just the guys and the team, but he also feels like he missed out on the opportunity to compete at the very top, you know, in the Super Bowl and the NFC championship game when he's with the lions, like there's a reason that there's, um, th- there's more than just, Hey, they wanted their signing bonus back that there's some negative feelings there. There's the, you had me for this long and we couldn't really compete. And now Matt Stafford leaves and wins the Super Bowl. I'm sure Calvin Johnson sitting there going, should have forced my way to being traded. That's what happens with everybody. We're, we're, a, we're, a, we're, we're humans, you know, and it's very human to point out to your parents what Johnny gets to do, how late he stays up at his house. You can call it envy or jealousy or 
just, you know, trying to make equal comparisons. But we see the grass and we think that it's always greener. We see that Romo has no Super Bowl wins. And Troy Aikman wants Romo money. The Mannings are, are to be envied. I mean, look at this trend. John Payton walks away. I'll try it for a year or two. Probably goes back into coaching. Peyton Manning, always want to be an owner, run a team. I'll try this for a couple years, see how it goes. Do I think Sean McVay was actually going to leave? I don't. But do I, and I, do I think it was a brilliant leverage play? I do. But was it just smart enough and just possible enough that there was some legitimacy to it if the Rams dug in their heels like, nah, man, we got you under contract. We're not giving you a penny more. And a 36-year-old, two-time Super Bowl appearance, one-time Super Bowl champion coach, Sean McVay, would have commanded into seven, probably into eight figures if he really wanted to dig in and do it. But when you broadcast, you missed even the losing locker rooms. You missed not just the victory parades, but handing out the game ball. You missed the grind of the week and the breaking down the film. And even if you do it as a broadcaster, to what ends? To what ends? I, I think that, you know, they did they give away any leverage yesterday at the parade? Probably. But I'm just guessing that they were told sometime between when the Super Bowl concluded and that victory parade that Stan Kroenke it's not a blank check, but he'd take care of him. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, so if Aaron Donald and Sean McVay are staying in L.A., they have Matt Stafford. We'll see about OBJ. We don't even know when he'll be back or how he'll be or if he'll be healthy, whatever. But you can, you know what you got in L.A. You think you know what you have in San Francisco with Trey Lance, and they got to figure out with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what you have with the Chargers. You know what you have with the Chiefs. You think you know what you have with the Raiders. What about Green Bay? Right, that's the big that's the big one this offseason. Um, this has, by many people's accounts, been about one thing. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. John Middlecoff's going to join us in a second. Uh, he's awesome. Former NFL scout, host of the Three Now podcast. We'll talk the Super Bowl, but we'll also talk about this topic. You know, um, Andrew Brandt's joined, joined us. Now, he, he still believes Aaron Rodgers will leave Green Bay, but he believes that Aaron Rodgers' uh, discontent initially was about his contract. It was about money. It's interesting he points that out because this is what Daniel Jeremiah said yesterday on the show in regards to what people in the NFL are telling him ultimately will end up with Rodgers. At the Super Bowl, you see a lot of people around the league, and the expectation from everyone I talk to is Aaron Rodgers is going to get a new contract in Green Bay, and he's not going anywhere. That if there's a quarterback leaving Green Bay, it was more likely to be Jordan Love than Aaron Rodgers. So that's kind of the expectation from the, from the guys I talk to. Stug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, yeah, that, that 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 makes sense. You know what? You know what makes you feel a lot better when you get a new contract. And and it was it's a hard read. We're reading somebody's words, and they those words they contradict themselves. And on one hand, it did seem like he was talking past tense about the last 17 years. On the other hand, he was talking glowingly about his relationship with his head coach. And apparently there's been some mending of the fences with the front office. 
Doug Gottlieb show rolls on Fox Sports Radio. Um, speaking of friends, John Middlecoff's a friend, also an avid golfer. Can you believe that thing just went up in flames like that? Like that was a gigantic fire and a historic structure. Yeah, you know, I've had the opportunity over the years to go to a couple just, you know, pretty legendary golf courses. And, you know, a lot of the times their clubhouse is not some modern sweet operation, right? It's, I mean, just I've never been there, but looking at the pictures, it looked like pretty old. And like you said, some just times, you know, the insulation, who knows, the wiring. Again, it's just kind of rackety old wood. I, I bet I bet if we Googled it, that thing was built probably in the 10s or yeah. the 20s. Yeah, 20s, 20s. Yeah, no, oh, it's, it's, things are built out of wood. Like, like, and we're on in Eugene, and it's funny. We were talking uh, with Justin Herbert last week, and we were talking about old Matt Court, right? Matt Court's where uh, uh, Oregon used to play. And I was like, why didn't why did they, they ever move out of Matt Court? And you, you ask them, they'll tell you, like, that thing's a tinderbox. You can't redo it. It's all built out. It's completely out of wood. You know, locally sourced wood that was built, you know, early, early you know, I, I think it was, it was in the 40s or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those structures are built out of wood, and – when they go, they go in a hurry. Well, and think about it. College sports, you know, you get to go around to some when you're doing these games is the complete opposite, right? There are, so many of these big programs now, it's completely modernized. <laughs> it's the opposite of the look of the Oakland Hills or what you, if you go to Olympic Club or, you know, some of these. I was at L.A. Country Club, you know, a month ago. It just, it's just kind of old school. That's a humble brag right there. It's a humble, yeah, a little humble. Like hum- you know, I know a few people. Uh, all right, let's let's get to the game because I haven't talked to you since the game. I know you have a pot, you had a pod out right after the game. Three announced the podcast, by the way. Um, I, I have my own thoughts, but as a football guy, what what did you? What were the couple things you walked away thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've seen this once. Robert Woods went out, and early on, when Odell Beckham hadn't got his footing yet, their running game had been pretty much non-existent, so they had been very dependent. Uh, not just Cup, but Higby. Higby's a stud. So once you remove him, you know, they became kind of one-dimensional offensively, despite having, you know, a very talented quarterback. And, you know, I, I call him an elite coach. It, it's just hard. You know, if, if I take away Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle from Kyle Shanahan, you know, or Tyree Kill and Kelsey from Andy, that, that you're just going to look kind of pedestrian. No, I mean, so listen, I, listen, what you're saying, by the way, that was what happened to the Niners. People are like, why did the Niners stink to start the season? Like, all their guys were hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's understandable. So I, I didn't make that big of a deal with them struggling offense. It was, I, I, I got it. But ultimately, the reason that I picked the Rams, I, I thought they were going to blow them out, was just it, it's hard to overcome. Like, every team has a bad offensive lineman. Like, there is not one team in the NFL, obviously the Super Bowl champs, I, I call their offensive line pretty average, where you'd be like, at least one, probably two, you're constantly looking to upgrade. But the Bengals' offensive line is putrid. And then you factor in that they got horses up front on the other side. And, and that was ultimately the difference on top of Stafford, who, you know, I, I remember early close and covering the Raiders, some of these comeback drives. I remember he was always trying to battle to catch Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford's had a lot of come-from-behind victories in his career. It's just I don't think a lot of people have watched because he played for the Lions, but – I, that wasn't to me out of character. Like he, he's done that several times, and they just, you know, went to their main horse. I, the, I mean, the better team won. Yes, I, I thought Cup was the rightful MVP, and this is this has been my argument, and I think most people have affirmed it. Which is, I'm not trying to take away from Aaron Donald, but Von Miller was was winning as well, right? The the entire Sean Robinson is an outstanding player as well. Like they got four dudes up front, 
and Aaron Donald's the, sure. the, the the best of them, and they're going against a weak lineup, as opposed to, and it's not like Eli Apple is, is anything great, but literally there was nobody else. It was a one-man drive. He was, and he had to get open, and he got open. And when they needed first down, they run the little jet sweep end around action to him, and he, he gets the first down. Like it was the last play of that game. Is yeah, I mean, it's going to go down as just one of the more remarkable accomplishments we've ever seen. I, you could argue in sports. I mean, the statistics, right? I mean, the 33 catches in the playoffs, the 148 or whatever in the regular season. What do you have? Six catches or six touchdowns in the playoffs? Whatever, 16 in the regular season. I mean, it's Jerry Rice-level stuff. And, again, I understand. I'm a Jerry Rice guy. But the rules make it easier to, you know, catch the football. But he earned it when I went to watch him live week 18. Not that I didn't think he was, like, a Pro Bowl-level player. But, you know, did I think he was, like, Devontae Adams or, you know, Julio Jones in his prime or whatever? No. And then I watched him live. I'm like, this dude can really play. I mean, he he is. And it's cool. I mean, that's something that – you know, all this Stafford Hall of Fame talk, which I, I thought was kind of stupid just because he's 34. I mean, he could play another seven years, and he's going to win a lot probably if McVay, you know, stays on board. Cooper Cup's building up a Hall of Fame career, right? Already been to a couple Super Bowls. The stats are going to be unreal. He just won the Super Bowl MVP. Like, maybe we start keeping an eye on that guy headed to a Hall of Fame trajectory. No, no question about it. It's the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. I did think that while, while we can point out um, – who was open in the last play? Uh, T. Higgins was open on the last play. I thought second down. I thought, yeah, it's a second. I thought second down was where they screwed up, right? You, you know, I mean, look, you combined on the previous drive, you have a guy who hadn't had a drop all year, drops one on third down, close to the first down. That gives the Rams new life. But then they, they they're down three. They got a money field goal kicker. They're playing in a dome. They're at the fifty yard line, second and one. Just get the first down. Just get the first down, and I don't care who your red, who your two minute back is. Your best running back should be on the field. I, I don't, I don't understand why they're throwing, taking a shot on second and one when just get the first down, get another first down. You're in field goal range, and then worry about taking shots. Yeah, to me, and I haven't seen this anywhere unless Mixon, you know, couldn't breathe or you know tapped out of that play. There is no reason, you know. I think the third down play when they went to Pirine and they could have just given the rock to Mixon, or maybe this was the drive before, where it's just, I mean, Joe Mixon is a top five running back in the NFL, and I understand, you know, forever, it was like change of pace back, different. When you just have an elite guy, a, a, a Pro Bowl guy, you ride him like a horse, and to me, that was a huge mistake, because on the flip side, right, when they had to have it on that fourth and one, it was going to cup, no matter what. And they're just like, well, probably the easiest way to guarantee they get on the ball is just on that sweet play. Uh, to me, uh, you might just go back-to-back plays with Mixon because it's not like Mixon is some tiny little finesse back. He'll run guys over. That, to me, is where Zach Taylor you know, kind of blew the game. Stug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, let's, let, let's, let's look forward now. Daniel Jeremiah said yesterday that guys in the NFL are saying Roger's going to get a new contract, and the only guy that will be leaving Green Bay is, is Jordan Love. That's what he's hearing. Are you hearing the same? Uh, I, from what I know is a lot of people are unsure. I, I feels like most people still believe he's going to end up in Denver. I saw today the news that they re-signed uh, Tom Clements. Remember, he was the guy that Rodgers was pissed about when they let go his quarterback coach. So that that is something, you know, we had talked about it whenever the last time I talked to you about Nathaniel Hackett being hired a little basketball. This yep. feels a little basketball-y too, right? Bring back his guy, make him happy. Uh, I, I, I thought the whole time – 
if Aaron Rodgers is adamant on leaving, it's not about football because the the pure football staying in Green Bay by far gives him the best chance to win because Devontae would stay. The division stinks. It's an easy way to get home playoff games. It's not even arguable. But it might just be a simple, and you've moved before, he doesn't want to live there anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and or, his or belief, he he's so new. good. Or, or he wants to try yeah. something new. And so Denver is a pretty – you know, prime opportunity. Good town. Peyton still lives there. I don't think it's that outrageous. I, I still believe that he will be a Denver Bronco, but I, I, I do think if he, if people in his ear, which who knows who that is, but just the football people, Devontae, like we have a chance to keep winning big here. Like we, if he stays in Green Bay, I mean, their over-under for wins will be like 12. I mean, they, them and the Rams will be the heavy favorites to win the NFC until we see what the hell Trey Lance can do. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Did you buy for any one second that Sean McVay would retire? No. I mean, he's 36 years old. He, I don't believe he's going to coach for like the next 20 years. But, you know, his, what's his value to Stan Kroenke, honestly? $20 million a year? Yeah, it was just a leverage play, right? I mean, like my yeah. way of looking at it is you can't, you can't leverage another coaching job. But this one you can. And you look at what the top end is making – it's above what he's making. I, do I think it's reasonable that he would walk away at 36? No, but my, my guess is that that's what that was about. I also think when you truly read the quote, he wasn't really saying that. I, I don't even think he was thinking like that. He knows he's going to get paid. And maybe, you know, there have been stories before that he's battled with Stan on his last contract extension. This one's a little different. He just won the Super Bowl. Yep. And I, I think and he recruited the quarterback, by the way, too, you know, right? Like, let's like, let's be honest. Les might have got the deal done, but everybody credits him for deciding that Stafford was the guy. They were both in Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Well, think about this. The three Shanahan guys that are successful, LaFleur, Shanahan and McVay. LaFleur is not the face of his franchise. Aaron is. McVay and Shanahan are the face of their franchises. Bigger than any player. Like when I think the Niners, I think Kyle Shanahan. When I think the L.A. Rams, I think Sean McVay. And clearly, both those guys bring an element to their franchise that without them, they would be in major trouble. I'd have no problem if I was either owner. I mean, Kyle already makes more than Sean McVay. If you tell me Sean McVay makes 18 to $20 million on his next contract, and you can argue, well, you know, he's only won one Super Bowl. I get it. But, you know, you factor in cost of living and inflation. I don't think it's that outrageous. No, plus there's no salary cap on on. Uh, yeah, who even cares? Cap on I mean, Stan has got so much money, it doesn't even matter. Right, it's like, he, he wrote a billion-dollar check so that St. Louis would leave him alone. I right? know, <laughs> just go away. <laughs> he wrote a billion-dollar check, leave me alone, here's your money, goodbye, and now here's my $5 billion do, stadium. Do, do, and do you think, and you have a better feel for the L.A. market, like, I, I mean, once you win down there, I, I know they're not the Lakers or the Dodgers, but they're pretty relevant, aren't they? With Sean and Super Bowl champs and their star players. Like, they feel, you know, they, they've done a pretty good job these last couple of years of just winning, and obviously once you win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, you know, sports teams are, are, are tricky. Uh, they're still, I would guess, and, and maybe we could poll the guys. You know, uh, John Ramos, uh, who's our technical director, um, he's a he's a longtime Rams fan, but you have to understand kind of the dynamics of it. Like, remember the Rams? They weren't in L.A. since the what the seventies, right? They were in Orange County, so they weren't really L.A.'s team. L.A. was a Raiders town, and then the Raiders left, right? And then it was like a Cowboys town, and uh, you know, Cowboys USC, 
Um, yeah. I'd say you know Steelers are big, Packers are big, all the franchises that won, but especially the Cowboys because they did training camp there and they've they've all, they've stuck the flag in the ground. They're, that's big. And then you know all the other teams that have been good, people or you're from that area, whatever. And then Niners are still are pretty big. And then the Rams, are like yeah, they got a nice following. I mean, I, I I think people have turned their attention to the Lakers and whether or not they'll turn it around or trade somebody at the end of the season more than, than, than the Rams uh, guys, my Jay Stu, what, what do you think? Am I speaking out of turn? We lost Jay Stu. Anyway, that, that's, that, 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 that that's my th- thoughts on it. Uh, John Middlecoff, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox sports radio. Oh, okay. So, um, what do you think happens with Deshaun Watson? Well, I, I was actually thinking about this this morning because I saw that he said that, you know, Tampa and Minnesota, just like I, Minnesota, just because I mean, he thinks him and Justin Jefferson are buddies. Yeah. Uh, like, who in there, like, when is this stuff going to go away? I heard something the other day that he has to individually go to each girl. Like, it has to, it's not like an overall case, it's each individual one. Are we sure that free agency is less than a month away. Are, are we sure that this thing's going to be settled? Why, why would anyone just assume that in a month or two months or five months, I, I, I am not confident at all this is going to go away. Now, at this point in time, maybe teams have had a lot of time to do their due diligence. Maybe they feel comfortable. Uh, maybe a team like Tampa, if he says, you know, because he has the no trade clause, is desperate. You know, they just want to fill a quarterback, and maybe some of these teams get really aggressive with them, and it's Houston wouldn't care, right? They'll want to get rid of them. But I, I just wonder, you know, if these teams with this hanging over him until it clearly is gone are going to pull the trigger. Now, I, you know, you would never, you know, in pro sports we have a long history of showing us that teams will. But, I, you know, in this day and age, you just I, I wouldn't discount that. You know, just a GM feeling totally comfortable uh, until what you know even if like 10 cases go away but there's still five you know i, I wouldn't you know uh, unless i because there's no way you would have the information it, it would all be hearsay and you know doing detective work on your own but you wouldn't truly know because no one truly knows Stug gottlieb show here on fox portrait i i agree with you it is a it's a it's a weird one it's a very weird one what's the coaching hire i mean lovey smith is the one that's just odd but outside of that what's the coaching hire that people are questioning the most uh that's a pretty good question i mean i think the the bills one you know the bills crew going to new york was pretty basic you know i i think a lot of people the last several years have tried to go with the young hot shot and you know it's eventually is LaFleur a great coach or did he inherit Aaron Rodgers now he did a good job of getting him going and I give him a lot of credit but if you would have given LaFleur the Giants job would he still be employed so Kevin O'Connell who you know I've I've followed his career since he was at San Diego State as a player this guy I would imagine most NFL fans three years ago had never really heard of him as some like up-and-coming future head coach and then boom gets back with McVay and in one year as a head coach uh, now he inherits some talent on offense, but you know I, I I do think that some of these young guys, you know, are maybe are McVay and Kyle kind of more outliers, right? They they have been around football their entire life. That every guy that's this thirty seven, thirty eight is just going to have success. I mean, you saw Robert Sala last year, who you know I think is forty years old. You know, he's a good guy and he he handles losing pretty well, but it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. 
And I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I would just start betting against these young guys just taking over the league year in, well, year out. I, I didn't, didn't we? Wasn't Zach Taylor in the in the Super Bowl? I mean, he's a he's a young guy. And granted, you have Joe Burrow, that helps. That was a big thing, though. It is a big thing, but I mean, like, look, there's other coaches with good quarterbacks that you know uh, uh, that that aren't uh, that aren't as successful. So I, I, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Fascinating. Well, I, I'll give you one. I this popped in my head would be the Bears. They have a young quarterback who has a long way to go, and they hired a defensive coordinator as their head coach. You know, Uberflus McDaniel's guy that went to Indy, and then when McDaniel's just ended up staying there. I watched his press conference and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> now again, you, you can't. You know, Sirianni was terrible at his press conference. It was awesome terrible. as a coach. Terrible. And, and, it, it, and it was different, Sirianni. This guy was just. It felt a, lig- a little like JV high school. But he, he was a good defensive coordinator for the Colts. I, I, I do just wonder. You know, I mean, Justin Fields. Uh, th- their success is going to hinder on him. You know, being a top. 15 quarterback like immediately if he's not they're, they're going to be in trouble yeah I mean I, does the defense does the head coach is the defense does that really matter I mean like we look around the league and you know the Chargers hired a guy who's a defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley Grant he was a quarterback in college but Herbert was sweet before he got there though right uh, okay okay um I mean like we could kind of we could go around I mean like when Tony Dungy had Peyton Manning yeah, Harbaugh's got Lamar. I mean, but those guys are just top end coaches, right? Just yes. in general. Yes, yes. I, I think I think that that part is is fascinating. John Middlecoff, three and out is the podcast. Download it; it's outstanding. Uh, links this weekend. What do you what do you what do you got? Yeah, this weekend. I mean, probably tomorrow, Friday. We'll go a little three day weekend this weekend with uh, with no football. That's good. Good to be you. It's into my prime season. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Later, Doug. See ya. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from beautiful, sunny Southern California. So much to get to. Um... including last night's Lakers upset of the Jazz. And stop me if you heard this before, but Anthony Davis is hurt. I know. I know. It's new stuff, right? New st- I, I had no idea. Um, there's some college football stuff that is at, at least interesting, right? Arizona State had a surefire prospect quarterback a couple years he starts. Now he's in the portal. Me- meanwhile, USC gets Caleb Williams and... He signed with a what real estate equity group? Yeah, that's a that's 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 a big money deal there right there. <laughs> it's a completely different world. We got NFL things to get to. Um but I, I want to get to this Coach K story in in one second. You know, it's it's interesting because there's a book out that Ian O'Connor wrote, and everyone is talking about a couple of the excerpts from it. It's called The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski by Ian O'Connor. Uh, but I, I want to get back a little bit to game time. Ramos, you asked me, you want to ask that question again, which is why you were trying to get to why I wanted to trade the first pick yeah. for the fourth and fifth. I just wanted to know, I figured you had like a team that you were really on and that you want, I want to see who you want to take number one. That'd be the, your pick for the Super Bowl champion. That's all. Um, I was just playing the numbers game. Okay. That's it. 
There you, you go. Know, that there was nothing. I mean, I think Jay Stu's pick. There was well, there was nothing wrong with it. It was a heck of a pick. But just if if we're trying to be right, then three picks is better than one pick, especially when there's only eight picks involved. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. I appreciate okay. that. Well, yeah, I mean, I probably shouldn't have given away that strategy, but it's a pretty obvious strategy. That was my thinking behind it. And, um, but I, I do think that the Bills, there's a reason they're one of the favorites to, to get to and, and win a Super Bowl. Well, let's, let, let's get to this. this is, so this is the new book, and there's been two consecutive kind of excerpts from it which has brought people's attention up. One, the one today was about how he got LeBron to buy in and to dig in and to, to, you know, to, to create a relationship with LeBron and, and have him be more of a leader, more of an alpha in a room of alphas. Previously, it was about the decision to name John Shire or get John Shire the job as his successor, as opposed to any of the other former Duke assistants or Duke players, most specifically Tommy Amaker. And the reason behind Amaker not getting the job, as opposed to John Shire, um, what was reportedly, again, this is based upon the book, based upon others' quotes, because he thought he could control John Shire more. Right? He's never coached anywhere else. He's 34 years old. Amaker was the head coach at Seton Hall, was the head coach at Michigan, kind of reinvigorated himself, and he's been at, at Harvard. And he was a Duke assistant until 1997. Um. Krzyzewski held a Zoom call with Amaker last year and a source described as a very difficult conversation. And uh, he said uh, that the move would, that if Amaker left Harvard to join the Duke staff as his successor and waiting, the move would force the demotion of the Blue Demons, excuse me, Blue Devils assistant, that John Shire, and create an awkward dynamic for Shire. Amaker left the call heartbroken. Quote, Mike had to explain to Tommy why he couldn't be the guy. He can be Don Corleone when he needs to be. Oof. When you hear the story, Bayer, what do you think? What do you think of Tommy Amaker, who, of course, pe- people forget uh, Mike Krzyzewski was floundering as a head coach. Duke's a hard job, and Amaker... And Billis and some of the others. That's that's what led to him being who he is yeah. now. Um, and Amaker's in his fifteenth year at, at Harvard, and he has they haven't done as well recently as they did previously, where they won the first ever NCAA tournament in Harvard history. But when you hear that story, what do you think? So so and, and I and I just want to clarify. So Shashevsky basically had to tell Amaker that uh, you don't have you're not, the, the, you're not getting the job that you're not getting the job, but didn't give him the reason why. Right, he just had to say, "Sorry, it's going to someone else." Right? Is yes. That yeah. That's well, sorry, case. it's going to John Shire. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Right. And there were a lot of guys. I mean, right? I mean, gosh, how many got you know? Even well, going Mike back Bray's, to Mike Bray, Mike, Chris Mike Collins, Bray. yeah, a sure. lot, lot of different guys that you thought. I mean, Steve, Steve Wojciechowski, of course. You know, he's he's uh, they're, they're both Polish. There's an incredible uh, dynamic relationship there. Now, I don't know what I don't know what would have happened had Wojo not lost his job at Marquette, right? Like, would he have been sure. ahead of him in the pecking order? And that's the thing is, like, all these guys go to jobs that are similar to kind of what Duke is, right? You know, like like for that for that. Well, I mean, op- and and they've generally been more successful in that, right? For example, um, you know, Amaker he was successful at Seton Hall, 
But then when he tried, then then he had some. He recruited a higher level of, or higher touted player. Um, then it kind of fell apart. See, so, no, but he got the he got the Michigan, Michigan job. Okay? But the Michigan job wasn't what it is today in terms of facilities. And remember, they were still kind of floundering coming off of mm-hmm. NCAA probation. He never got them to the tournament. Harvard, he almost immediately turned around. Now that's when Harvard started to lessen some of the restrictions in getting people in. They, they didn't. I've said this for a long time, and I could, I'll probably go on this to a podcast. It's when, when I say that Harvard lowered their emission standards, it wasn't like they were like, oh, we'll take Prop 48s and JUCOs. They just lowered their standards basically to the level of the other top teams in the Ivy League, Penn and Princeton, and that allowed them to get as good or better players than Penn and Princeton, Bun, because Tommy Amaker is a really well-regarded coach, and two, it's Harvard. There's only yeah, one Harvard. True. Right? Very so, correct. So anyway... Uh, you know, Quinn Snyder didn't do well at Missouri. He's done very, very well. I mean, actually, you know, that's not fair. Quinn Snyder's personal issues brought him down at Missouri. They did well in the NCAA tournament in Missouri, not as well in the Big 12. But Missouri's not a job really like Duke, you know? Yeah. Uh, Johnny Dawkins, he did okay at Stanford. He's done pretty well at Central Florida. But you're right. Most of them go to private schools uh, that have a quality academic reputation. I think the private school thing is where there's a lot of parallels there. And if you talk to, especially basketball coaches, they'll tell you, like, it's just easier to get things done as opposed to all the red tape at a public university. Yeah, I, it's, it's, a, it's a tough call, and I, I, don't know, I, I don't know how you make that decision. I would think that, I don't know if it's becoming a young man's game. Um, it seems like all of coaching is now becoming a young man's game, and I don't know if that is a part of it. But, yeah, I... I, I did not expect it to be someone who did not have head coaching experience. And I think that would be the toughest part about it if you are making that call, whether it be to Tommy Amaker or whether it be to anybody else. I mean, even, you know, maybe a Chris Collins, you can say, all right, maybe things haven't gone well at Notre Dame. Maybe Mike Bray just, you know, is not going to coach anywhere after Notre Dame. But to give it to a guy over Amaker who wanted it that has not been a head coach, I think is. That'd be really tough to swallow. It's a tough one to swallow. And I, he, what what I would, here's where I would say, I call bull crap, only I wouldn't use the word crap, right? Is you, you, you can't go to Tommy Amaker with, it would, it would create an awkward dynamic. You, you can't, that's not, that's, who cares? It's the Duke job. If you want Shire to be the coach, hey, I decided John, I want John Shire to be the coach. Let me just tell you why. He's been here. He's got a relationship with all our players. He's the point man on our recruiting, right? He knows how we do things now. It's been a long, it's been since, if you, if you simply told him like, hey man, it's been since 97, since you've been here, a lot of things have changed. The dynamics of the university have changed. And this is the way that I want to go. I think that decision becomes more palatable, more easy to, 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 to digest, right? As opposed to the, yeah, well, uh, uh, there's a, yeah, I, uh, uh, it would it would create a weird dynamic. That one just, you know, it's it's like they always say it's not the crime, it's the cover up, right? It's not the decision, it's the explanation. Just be honest with the explanation, and I think it would, it would. I've learned this in life, right? Like if you're just honest with it, it hurts initially, but it becomes a lot more digestible after a while. Like all right, you know, like I, I disagree with the old man, but. You know, I haven't been there since 97. It's a different dynamic, a different crew. He wants mm-hmm. to kind of keep rolling. Okay. But when you go with the, it would create a weird dynamic. 
It's one thing to be told you're not getting your dream job and replacing your mentor. It's a whole other thing to be to be told something which is at best is at best hard to believe and more likely complete bullcrap. Yeah, honestly, people's feelings should not be coming into account. And the funny thing about it is, the weird dynamic that it would cause would obviously be awkward for some people, but it wouldn't have been awkward as much for Amaker, who actually would have had the head job. So now you've just put Amaker in a completely, not even an awkward position, but kind of an awkward position, and uh, probably, and this doesn't mean to sound, you don't want to, you don't want awkward because it's going to hurt feelings. Well, you're going to have hurt feelings no matter what. No matter what you do, so you got to go best man for the job. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, the, the the Hubert Davis thing. I mean, I think you were at ESPN when Hubert was was there. You know, yeah. if, I mean, if you know, he leaves TV, goes and becomes an assistant. Now he's the the heir apparent at, at North Carolina. I just, I don't know the, I don't know the route that you follow. I mean, it took Carolina a while till they finally got Roy Williams. I know Bill Guthridge took him to a Final Four, but and then they had Matt Doherty, yeah, and, and the Doherty thing. Uh, he recruited well, but it was a relationships thing that he, uh, that he kind of. He, um, but he was a. I mean, Dean Smith swore. You know, my, I mean, honestly, uh, he was he was handpicked by Roy Williams. Dean Smith, like, who, who do we get? And go get go get Matt. Matt was at Notre Dame for a year, I think. You know, I think for a year and did a great job at Notre Dame. Turn that thing around. Here's the thing that I wonder: if in the end, Coach K is is thinking. Shire's going to be our guy. Shire's within the program. We could continue recruiting. Isn't it at some point two years ago or three years ago you go, Tommy, I know you're the head coach, but if you want to be the man at Duke, come be my assistant here, and it's yours. And I would think that Amaker, knowing that, would have said, all right, I will do it. Like, you've got your succession plan in place. And I think that if Tommy Amaker knew that that was the route, because they moved the, they seemingly moved the goalposts on him. Well, we we don't that that's the part of right? the story, and I haven't read the book. The book is you know, we haven't been given a copy of the book, so we don't know, right? Because all those guys, Jeff Capel came back after the Oklahoma thing. I thought Capel would be a guy, and and, and people will go, well, Capel struggling at Pitt, obviously beat North Carolina last night, and he did well at Oklahoma until that thing fell apart. But I I actually I don't think that getting fired at Oklahoma would have you know it's it, you learn so much from your first job. You know, especially one as big as Oklahoma, and they were a yeah. one seed, and he did have Blake Griffin. He did recruit well. Eight, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there was a lot of good stuff that came from that. I, I but I'm I, I think the thing that will probably bother those guys is the part that you were just getting to. Hey, if we didn't need to go take a head coaching job to get the job, we wouldn't have taken a head coaching job, yeah. right? Yep. Like I'm sure all of those guys are like, you know, I could stay here and just wait and lay in the cut, but I'm gonna go get a head coaching job, prove I can do it move my whole family, leave the Duke family, start this whole new thing, and you give it to a guy who well, he's barely done it, and he's that, that, one, that one's a hard one to take. I get it. I do get it. It's Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. Anyway, fascinating stuff. I also, I will just selfishly point out, apparently, Myshevsky uses the term MFR a great deal. Um, that hits a lot of people when they read it, like cold water being thrown in your face. Uh, that to me feels like much more legitimate quotes than anything else, right? Because in in sports, when you're in a locker room, an MFR it has a negative connotation, but also can be a positive, right? If somebody's like, "Man, that's that's he's an MFR." In basketball, that's actually a good thing. 
It, it depends if it's the noun or the verb. Like the noun is a good thing. The verb is a bad thing. You MFers can't, right? right? Well, that's actually a noun too. But there's a positive connotation to it. I just think it's amazing that he uses that word. And I use that word. And I've heard that word used a ton. That's, an, that's one that I think you, you, you put yourself on full display whether or not you've been inside real sports talk. Because MFR can be a term of endearment. It can obviously have a negative connotation. But it is not some, like with officials, when you say it, they want to fight or they want to give you a technical foul. Very unique thing.